Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode eight, the cursed episode of the cast of Caw, where we review, or sorry, uh, where we talk all things related to the Dark Tower series by Stephen King. I'm your host, Rachel, and joining me today, the other half of my Cawtat is the one, the only DJ. You guys thought we were experiencing pod fade. You were correct. Uh, <laughs> this has been a but long time But not by coming. our own choice. This is... We've literally tried to record this episode uh, probably five times. Yeah, no, no just, joke. Like we've everything had goes wrong. Computer failing, uh, you traveling the world, me traveling for once. Like it just was. There's like the we recorded this intro. I I can I should just like tack all of them on the end so people think we're not exaggerating. But how hard we've <laughs> we been trying to make this episode happen. <laughs> oh man. Uh, so we're back. Uh, yes. We are now into the second book. Uh, we are a couple chapters in. Uh, we left. Like, what's been so long, Rachel? Uh, you want to fill us in, kind of get us back up to to speed with the basic rules, uh, how we do the show, and so <laughs> on. Because I mean, it's been so long, people have probably already forgotten how this all works. Serious. I mean, shit. I think maybe we could use a refresher. Okay. Yeah. So I here's... Don't remember. <laughs> Here's the plan for this week's show. So we're going to kick things off the show with an in-depth conversation about Chapter 3 of The Drawing of Three, uh, Contact and Landing. We don't have any Midworlder lessons this week, I don't think, so we'll skip over that. And then we'll close out the show with some listener feedback we got, and as well as some spoilers um, with today. Well, today's a big day because the trailer for the movie dropped, so I've watched that a about 10 times and i think we'll probably close out the show with a discussion about the trailer and the clips that are finally finally out um (laughs) so before we get into that you want to remind our listeners of our spoiler policy we will definitely let you know before we uh spoil anything beyond the chapters that we are on right now however uh be prepared because we are covering said chapter so if you haven't listened to read or sort of ingested that in some other way uh we will be spoiling that by chapter. osmosis uh, by, yeah exactly <laughs> so uh, keep that in mind um and rachel will warn you too if there's any kind of trailers or anything that we're going to cover or movie bits uh ahead of time so that you can tune out or fast forward so that you, you aren't spoiled if you want to go enjoy the trailer or something like that uh by yourself before you listen enjoy hmm we'll see about that <laughs> i'm trying to be nice here I mean, <laughs> high production value uh sometimes equals enjoyment i guess true enough true enough it, it, i mean there's lots of really pretty moving pictures so there's always that all right so before we get into the episode uh let's talk about where we left off last time we spoke roland had gone through the door called the prisoner and into eddie's head that he found on the beach he eddie is a heroin addict who is smuggling cocaine onto a plane uh and at this point while roland is like taking in the scenery and getting to know eddie by rifling through his brain eddie isn't aware that he has this passenger in his head he also doesn't realize that he has drawn the suspicion of a flight attendant who he really does not want to know that you know He's up to no good because he's got two kilos of coke strapped into his <laughs> armpits, as you do. Clearly, this is pre-Trump's America, where people can get into the country willy-nilly. And you can um, still smoke on a plane? Like, when's, when was that? 70s? <laughs> 60s? It's so weird because there's, and, and before we get into the chapter, just uh, things I'm noticing in this was there's like, 
some things are so different, like smoking on a plane and just like the general attitude about like flying and passengers and getting through customs. But at the same time, there's like all these commentary, all this commentary about like, you know, people terrorism being and people terrorism and planes. Middle Eastern stuff. And I'm just like, God, the more things change, the more they stay the same in terms of like who they, you know, suspect. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, sorry, go ahead, DJ. Why don't you give us a little bit of the, let's get into this chapter. Uh, so we, we pick up with Eddie on the plane. Um, he has the heroin under his, his armpits as uh, Rachel discussed, and he's kind of uh, um, started zoning out and uh, uh, losing control of time for a little bit as Roland takes over. Uh, his body, uh, he gets the sandwich uh, cross, and uh, you know he's raised the the hackles of the uh, uh, stewardess. And uh, finally, uh, he he decides that to to calm his nerves down and to figure out what's going on, he's gonna get a little hair off the dog that bit him. So he heads <laughs> to the bathroom and decides to do some drugs. Uh, you know, um, he's not going cold turkey here; he's going cool turkey and uh, a little pick me up. He decides it's probably going to be the way to go, which is strange. And, and at this point, um, there's a lot of focus uh, from the stewardess on realizing that uh, his eyes were one color. He goes to the bathroom and he comes back and his eyes are a, a another color. And uh, this change is sort of uh, got her worried. And um, there's almost – and Rachel, maybe I'm describing this wrong. I've listened to this chapter so many times. <laughs> I actually actually drifted on to other chapters because I got tired of just listening to this one. So if I get off on this, guys, I apologize. Uh, That's edited in post. No one will ever know. (laughs) But there's this point where, like, you kind of get into the stewardess's mind. And it it, it goes to this uh, bit where she's talking about this, like, haggard old stewardess that, like, it's, she's too old to to fly anymore, but she teaches the young girls how to get along and, and how to uh, watch out for these people and so on. And yeah. she kind of flashes back to that and sort of uh, goes through this spiel like, you know, you notice that strange guy, you notice that weird person. And this is sort of what a late, uh, Rachel was alluding to is uh, that guy might end up uh, taking over the plane and you'll end up on a crappy trip to some Arabian country, you know, <laughs> on a, a runway, like waiting to get back home again. And it's it's like flight attendant court. Yeah. And so she's like, you know, you keep an eye on that person. And if you have a bad feeling, you keep that feeling and you remember it because, uh, you know, anything that kind of gets your hackles is something that you should pay attention to. And so she starts thinking about it and she uh, let's on to her partner that uh, she thinks this guy is a bit shifty. And uh, so they start she's kinda... got like a thing of a thermos of hot coffee. She's going to throw in yeah. or, uh, Eddie's face. If she has to boiling coffee into his face. Yeah. And, and they kind of <laughs> go back and forth and then, you know, they, and, and this is kind of jumping around a little bit, but they sort of just decide, well, <laughs> you know, this guy isn't going uh, to, to, hijack the plane he's smuggling drugs you know and right and every time she talks about him and and this is an aside but she says oh well he's kind of cute he's kind of cute he's kind of cute like it's that's too bad he's kind of cute she's weirdly boy crazy for eddie i don't know yeah like uh he's not handsome enough to be handsome but he's kind of handsome so eddie's having kind of this experience with his drug smuggling and the stewardess and meanwhile uh roland is sort of experimenting with what he can bring through from his world to Eddie's world and back again. And we, we already know that he got the sandwich out. And then he tries this coin, and he's able to take the coin back and forth, but there's a gotcha there. Uh, he also has a shell, 
And uh, there's some funny bits about Roland missing some fingers and dropping things and so on, which, you know. Aw, <laughs> poor Roland. Uh, yeah, and every time he, he transports back, um, you, you sort of, they don't describe it very well, but you, you sort of get the impression that Roland's body just falls limp wherever it's at every time mm-hmm. he transitions in and out. So he's getting, like, cuts on his face and scars and, and like, smacking his, his head on things and stuff like yeah. that every time he transitions. Uh, but there's a gotcha here where Roland's able to bring a coin back and forth between worlds, but... For some reason, this uh, seashell doesn't transition with him back to Eddie's world. Yeah, he can and... take things from our world, or we're going to call Eddie's our world for like brevity, but he can't take things from his world into. So this is sort of a, a strange uh, gotcha here. And uh, this is where uh, it kind of dawns on him. Uh, they mentioned that, uh, uh, Roland mentions that he's sort of like thumbing through Eddie's brain like a, a car, you know, cards in a card file and yeah. trying to find the words. And the reason there's no actual uh, mid-world uh, discussion here this uh, this week is because uh, most of this does take place in our world. And yeah. uh, so Roland's really searching for Eddie's words uh, uh, for all these things. Yeah. Uh, and uh, he basically, this is where they start to communicate. And Rachel, uh, I'll let you take over for a little bit. Yeah. Uh, Roland identifies himself finally to Eddie. Eddie realizes that uh, there's another sort of thing going on in his head and is freaking out. And then what? Well, oh, you okay? <laughs> that sounded painful. What just happened? And that was a, a dog. <laughs> oh. <laughs> was it Hero or Gizmo? Uh, I just got a lap jump from Hero. <laughs> and she caught my headphones and microphone and yanked them out of my... <laughs> For once, it's your pets going fucking crazy. I know. Uh, Okay, so before I move on really quickly, I just want to slow down for one second because there's some really good stuff here. Um, For one thing, we get – it's like you. I like that you brought up the fact that we don't really have a a mid-roller thing this week because Roland's having to kind of figure out our dialect. And some of my favorite things and some of the funniest stuff I think in these books are these sort of fish out of water moments with Roland. And he has this whole thing where he realizes, well, first of all, he is, even though Eddie is unaware that uh, the stewardess has caught on to him and that they are, they, they know that something's up. He has sensed it. So he is on high alert and um, he realizes that, the the drugs that Eddie has on him are going to prevent him from um, clearing the ritual, completing the ritual of clearing the customs, which he goes <laughs> into this whole thing about like it being sort of a religious or like a, like, like a rite of passage that yeah. I think is really great. Cause I mean, if you just take the, the words like customs, clearing customs, you know, on their face value without understanding like the actual context, like it could very well translate into something that's like very ritualistic. Well, he even uh, uh, refers to it as uh, almost swearing fealty to another yes. kingdom of some kind, you know, like doing the traditional, like, uh, uh, I am a knight and here to serve your kingdom, blah, 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 before you can move on. Yeah. And I love all of those moments. I just like, it's a good character moment like one of the things we talked a lot about last time was how this this book finally introduces some humor and i think this is a great example of that um the other thing is we're also getting to hear like see what roland thinks of you know our world yes and he has this like really hard on everybody yes 
absolute disdain for people who are just like totally soft and like uh, unprepared in this world that hasn't moved on. Um, but right away, he does sense that Eddie is different. He sees potential in him, um, that he has been somewhat compromised by living in this world. But there is still, and if he were to continue on, he would grow just as soft as the rest of the people. But he has somewhat of an edge that Roland is able to connect with like right away. And it's reminiscent to like how he sense that right away in in jake you know what i mean like he understood that this this person was not they were something different despite living in the sort of soft world um uh let's see here oh he also resists the urge when eddie is not picking up that he is under surveillance he doesn't just he resists the urge to sort of like come forward which um i think is an interesting moment because up until this point like, whenever Roland talks about himself and people talk about, he remembers people talking about him, they always talk about him being this blunt tool. But I feel like this is a moment where you actually get to see that Roland is far more cunning than he gives himself credit for. He's not just a blunt tool. Um, and it shows some character growth in terms of, like, I don't know, character growth in terms of the way that we as an audience get to see Roland. Um, yeah, there's a little bit of subtlety here. Uh, Roland still is like, uh, continually looking at the soldier women, which is the stewardess, <laughs> and, uh, you know, the uh, uh, weak passengers with no guns and yeah. <laughs> no weapons on them, and uh, sheep led to the slaughter and so forth. Uh, uh, but he doesn't uh, quite jump into Eddie and just take over. And he does spend some time talking about how Eddie is stronger, different, and he could feel that he, he's a little bit uh, tougher uh, than the rest of these folks. Yeah. And even um, in the interactions between the stewardess and Eddie, uh, he mentions, uh, you know, Roland mentions several times that uh, he doesn't kowtow and he doesn't, uh, you know, you know, get uh, weak. And you'll, you'll hear a little bit more of that as we land. So well, wait, one last thing before we move on is what I mean by he's really cunning. Like you're saying is that, and I think it's also super important from a plot perspective is that he recognizes that um, being in Eddie's mind is his best chance of survival because he knows that his physical body needs things that he may be able to acquire through this. And what it does is in addition to it, just being a part of his quest, it makes Roland have some real skin in the game in terms of, you know, uh, getting Roland or getting Eddie through the, you know, the ritual of clearing the customs because he, at this point already, these men's fates are like totally interconnected. Um, and it's just something that obviously gets a deeper connection as time goes on. But right away we have the stakes where the, you know, Eddie's success and his success are totally linked. Okay, I'm ready to so move on. <laughs> the, the plane the plane's about to land and Roland finally reveals himself to Eddie and Eddie sort of thinks that he's uh possibly uh going crazy at first or that the drugs have kicked in more than he expected and, and he starts um responding to Roland out loud and this is kind of a fun exchange between the two or Roland's like Well this is their it. first contact, right? Yeah. This is uh, up until this point Roland has been like the one who knew what was going on and Eddie's totally in dark and they have their first contact which is huge. The thing that's that's clever and kind of fun here is that 
somehow Roland can mentally slap Eddie. <laughs> so, <laughs> so throughout this, like uh, Roland reveals himself, uh, starts to talk to Eddie, and Eddie responds out loud, and Roland mentally slaps him across the face. It's like, <laughs> you idiot! No, stop it! And then like, let me tell you this, and then Eddie starts to do it wrong again, and Roland just keeps like uh, pummeling him about, and and finally, it's like that thing where like you you think as a kid you're like I'm never going to be like my parents but then the minute he steps into this like their dynamic is immediately like developed like falls into place yeah yes and right and before he knows that he's like slapping him around and like pulling a full court because you know like he's totally doing that thing we all say we'll never do and then suddenly you hear your like mom come out of your mouth yep. that's basically what just happened to Roland <laughs> well and uh, this sort of feels too like um Eddie in the beginning was sort of describing his friend and their relationship or his brother or whatever and their relationship and and this this sort of feels like Roland has taken that spot it, it right away almost and like jumped mm-hmm. in and sort of been like the leader and and Eddie is the follower if oh, that yeah, makes any 100%. sense to you like yes. and, and that's the the uh, momentum you get right out of it and Eddie doesn't even spend a lot of time arguing with Roland about like this guy possessing your body or your brain or whatever. <laughs> He's just <laughs> like, Oh, okay. Well, that's weird, but uh, sure. What do I do? You know? <laughs> and so the plane lands and uh, uh, Roland informs uh, Eddie that, that he thinks the soldier women uh, are, uh, you know, onto him and that he needs to do something about the customs that are coming up. And so he can. So he doesn't Eddie. profane the customs. No, no, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so he convinces Eddie that uh, he can help them him with the the heroin and and tells him to go to the bathroom. So Eddie runs to the you know doesn't run but he gets up as the plane's on the taxi and goes to the bathroom. Meanwhile, the stewardess and uh, uh, her cohorts uh, are basically informing the captain and letting people know that uh, they think this guy is smuggling drugs. And uh, he's gone to the bathroom, possibly to dump the drugs in there. Uh, meanwhile, in the bathroom, uh, Eddie uh, finds himself uh, able to get to the portal uh, via Roland's help and into Roland's world and starts to try and get the heroin bags off of his body. Uh, of course, they decided to use uh, a duct tape, <laughs> which... You know, I don't know. Like that seems really uncomfortable for a long trip. But uh, I digress. Uh, they need to get these <laughs> off of them. And in the meantime, uh, the, the passengers are leaving the plane, and the stewardess and the pilot and um, some of uh, they are informing the uh, local authorities that the, uh, this guy is in the bathroom, and they're starting to gather. But they don't want to make a scene yet until the plane's unloaded. And there's this weird thing that kind of caught me off guard. The portal isn't just a place that allows you to go from one uh, reality to another. Uh, but the whole time uh, Eddie and Roland are together in this other land, uh, they can hear like an audio commentary of the stuff that's going on in the plane at the same time. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's more of a window, you know what I mean, than yeah, like exactly. a than like a black box, you know. And there's this great bit in in this scene, and I don't want to forget it, where Eddie describes seeing Roland for the first time. Yes. And, like, he he goes into great detail about how this guy looks like he's dying and, like, he's in really bad shape and and the uh, his veins are turning black and, like, uh, the stuff's bad. But he could still kick my ass if he wanted to, you know? Like, it's, yeah. it's like, no matter how poor uh, Roland's health is and how bad off he is, Roland still is this, like, intimidating, scary dude. Uh, 
that can put you on edge. And, and it sort of feels like that. Uh, so, yeah, Rachel, I mean, Ro- sorry, go ahead. Oh, Rachel, Roland and uh, uh, Eddie are together, and you, you've you already established that uh, Eddie's kind of submissive and Roland's dominant. Uh, but yeah. how to describe this, like, interaction on the beach. Well, I mean, I would say, before we get too far ahead, I just want to talk about a couple little things that we kind of blew by. And one of them, and this is going to take us back a little bit, I apologize. Oh, but okay. I just, something I thought was really important was just that, that Roland in seeing Eddie and Eddie's world and the effect that Eddie's world has on them is it gave him a new perspective on the idea of a world that moved on because it's always said very wistfully. And now that he's seen what a world that hasn't moved on is like, um, you know, he's like, you know, maybe that was a short-sighted idea. And it just really underlines, like, how Roland is a product of the world that he lives in and would be totally unable to fit in in our world. Like, he has, in the same way that Eddie has been softened by his world, Roland is so hardened by his and like it out in a weird way gives him a greater appreciation for the world that he lives in. Did that stand, moment stand out to you at all? I, don't, I guess to me, any in this will happen throughout the series. Anytime Roland interacts in another world sort of way, uh, you, you get this like different view of the same world, but I don't yeah. know about hardened. It, it's more like, uh, confused, like the the minute he realizes he's on a plane, uh, you know he's he understand it, like it took him a second to understand that he was in the air, and he you know he, he's looking at the book at first and things like that, mm-hmm. and and Roland's description of it is it's more like if you uh, uh, put someone who had never seen a bathroom, uh, like an indoor bathroom before, in a bathroom and said like you know here you go go to the bathroom. <laughs> And they're like confused with what this uh, ceramic wash basin is and yeah. this other ceramic wash basin. And uh, where's the hole that you sit over? You know, <laughs> it's like a completely different experience. You just, the, and I, I, I say that because the first time I went to Singapore, they had the squatty potties and you walk Uh-oh. into a, a bathroom and there's a, like a hole in the floor with a, like a, a water that squirts up and you know, you, as a person that thinks you know the, how the world works, you see that and you're like, the hell do I do with this? How does this work? What's it for? Like, you can imagine it's a drinking fountain on the floor. You know, this is for washing your feet, maybe something like that. And I, I think that's more how I see Roland is like uh-huh. just completely uh, removed from so many of these things that are in the other world that it's like uh, a person describing something for the first time that they've never seen before and don't understand how it works. Well, it's very apropos that this is all happening inside an airport bathroom then, huh? Exactly. <laughs> and that, that is why I picked the bathroom metaphors as a descriptor. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So in this part, what's interesting is that we, because Eddie, like we're, we're shifting perspectives, we actually get to see Roland through Eddie's eyes for the first time. Like we've seen him through the narrator's eyes and we've seen him through Jake's eyes. And, you know, Jake is very much an old soul, but he's still a kid. So this is the first time that we ever get to see Roland assessed by like a grown ass man um, who was like lived some, you know, had some life experience. And like you said, right away, he recognizes that he's an intimidating character that even in this really 
sickened state. He is someone who, you know, he would have a hard time getting the best of. And, you know, you do get the impression that Roland is in rough, rough shape. Um, And Eddie instinctually knows that Roland is someone to be, you know, taken seriously. And it's, it kind of, it tells you right there a little bit about Eddie as well that, you know, even though he's untrained, he does have this innate gift for observation. He gets rapidly up to speed and like is able to take in a lot without kind of losing his shit, which most people, when someone starts talking in their head and pulls them through a portal, might not keep their cool as much as Eddie does. And I think that, that you know, you can lose it in sort of the rapid pace of what's happening in this episode, but that's ex- actually really telling in terms of his character and who he is, that he is able to take this in stride as well as he does, you know, like even though it's a panicky situation where people are banging on bathroom doors or getting a little ahead of myself, he maintains his cool pretty much through the whole thing. Yeah. Part of that though, do you think is, um, is the fact that, uh, Eddie kind of sort of still thinks he might be losing his mind a little bit and that he might be on drugs, you know, like, yes. I mean, because... I think it's a coping thing where he's just like, well, fuck it. I'm just going to go with the flow. But yeah, whether, exactly. but it's still, he's able to, whether, I mean, it doesn't matter necessarily how he does it, that he's able to do it, I think is telling. Yeah. Um, because he is, I mean, this is an unbelievable supernatural experience that, experience that he's having. Because we're assuming that, yes, we're in a fantasy world as readers, we understand this, but like he's coming from our world, which isn't. So, I mean, he's thrown into a pretty crazy situation and manages to kind of see his way through it without totally losing his shit. And thinking on his feet, which we'll get to in a minute here. Well, I guess more thinking on his ass, but you know what I mean. So Roland and Eddie are together in the other world, and they're trying to get these heroin bags off. Meanwhile, you're hearing the passengers exit. Uh, the pilot and the the stewardess have started gather around the door of this bathroom, and they're waiting for the last passengers to get off. And Eddie's continuing to try and free himself. Obviously, Roland, with his lack of uh, proper digits, is not very helpful in this process. And you get this crazy old lady... <laughs> It's like she, she comes up. Well, and she, pardon me for living. Yeah, she, she just comes up like this. Uh, I, I almost pictured like a, a southern madam that's like rolls up and like, are you kids help me with this? You know, I need to know where I'm going. And like uh, no one wants to help her. They just want to get her out of the way so they can uh, move on to like yelling at Eddie and getting them out of this room. And, and meanwhile, uh, on Eddie and Roland's side, uh, they're trying to still remove this duct tape. And and Roland pulls out this knife and, and oh this is the, a great scene yeah part of the description of Roland that we've left out so far that really kind of um I think the knife is almost a metaphor for Roland in itself like, mm. uh, he pulls out this knife and Eddie describes it as uh, the sharp worn almost to paper thin invisible blade uh, that looks like it's old beyond comparison yeah. but sharp and dangerous and the description goes on and on as many adjectives as you can imagine for a sharp old <laughs> knife. Uh, and, and after you finish reading that, you sort of get this feeling that that wasn't a description of the knife as much as it was a description of how Roland uh, like feels as a as a character in, in the book. You know, this tough old codger that's like uh, dangerous as hell that can't be stopped that you know will cut you. <laughs> 
without yeah. issue, like sliced right through you and doesn't care, you know, in, in a knife, knife doesn't care what it destroys. It's not a, it's not a thing that thinks about you. It's a, it's thing a tool. That, yeah, exactly. And, and mm-hmm. that again reflects on what we sort of come to know Roland as being. And, God, and, that's such a great call. I didn't even put that together, but you're a hundred percent right. Yeah, and so if you go back, guys, and you you cover that section one more time, uh, read the description <laughs> of the knife, no. and then just visualize Roland. And I think that's that's pretty apt description of Roland. And, and and then of course, you know, as soon as they're done describing the knife, what does the knife do? It like slices the crap out of Eddie as they're just trying to cut it. <laughs> and you know, then on top of that, so well, Eddie who tries to wield this knife and he wields it poorly and cuts himself. And Roland, in his horrible shape, who's, you know, uh, missing fingers and and dying, uh, still manages to operate this knife like a surgeon. Well, I love this moment where his hands are shaking uncontrollably and Mm -hmm. through just like an absolute like test of will, he's able to steady his hand. And it is such a powerful moment. I mean, it's a, it's a very cool moment as a reader to kind of like, cause we know the reserves of strength that, um, that Roland has, like we're familiar with him, but for Eddie, this is the first time he's really kind of being able to see the depths of Roland, that this is a creature of, of just pure willpower and will. And uh, it's just a really cool moment. And I think a really formative moment in their relationship. Cause something we did not talk about was, you know, we said how, Roland immediately stepped into this role as court, as the, like, dominant person. Mm -hmm. But Eddie also pulled from his history as sort of the submissive because he has that same kind of relationship uh, with his brother, Henry. You know, Henry's the older brother. Henry was responsible for him. You know, Henry, you know, supposedly made all these sacrifices for him, you know, so that Eddie could have a good life and not die like their sibling. And, um, but unlike... Henry, Roland is actually like a worthy um, mentor. So even though Eddie naturally slots into this role for the first time, he's actually paired up with someone who may, who, whose mentorship will lead him in a, in a, well, I don't know, positive, but like a more constructive direction. (laughs) You know what I mean? A more like, so that that Eddie is potentially able to fill, fulfill his potential, you know? All right, yeah. sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, that's that's completely true. And then, the, of course, while he's close to Roland, he, he can describe the heat of the fever that's running through uh, uh, Roland's veins, you know, that, yeah. that he's so sick. And if you've ever had to take care of uh, someone, like, in a nursing home or something like that, when the when the fever's hit, like, that's not actually a joke. Like, you can literally feel... Uh, oh yeah the death on somebody and it's unnerving and that description there if you you've ever had that experience just kind of puts your teeth on end yeah uh, knowing that you're next to this guy who's got black veins yeah is running like 105 (laughs) temperature it's it just oh it kind of makes me shiver a little bit so this old lady gets a shoot off after they've kind of had this ruckus on the outside and again we continue to have that uh, contrast between 
this sort of normal life experience thing going on on one side of the door and this like crazy, you know, uh, surreal thing going on the other side of the door with like, uh, you know, transferring to beaches and all this other stuff. Uh, and they're still trying to struggle with this, these, uh, these bags of heroin and get them loose from Eddie. And finally they've got the lady gone and the pilots start screaming at the door, you know, uh, get out, you know, you need to get out of there. The plane has landed. And Eddie doesn't answer. He just keeps ignoring him while they're working on this. Right. (laughs) They get the last bag free. The pilots are really getting worked up now, and they're about ready to break the door down. And Roland says, you know, uh, what are you doing? And Eddie says, oh, uh, trust me. And he unbuttons. And this is like, this is where it sort of shows that Eddie is this sort of um, world-savvy uh, yes, a smart um, a shyster guy. I, I don't want to say shyster per se, but he's quick on his feet. Yeah, he definitely thinks ahead, and he, he's sharp. And and that and it, it kind of lives up to what Roland sort of judged of him at the beginning. And he unzips his pants and drops him down, and then like quickly, uh, you know, drops the bags of heroin and jumps back into the bathroom just as they break the door down. <laughs> yeah, and he's there, you know, sitting on the toilet. And just starts this like shot-for-shot uh, um, um, shot commentary of of how he didn't want to get to the door handle because he couldn't reach it, as though yeah. like he couldn't <laughs> lean forward to open it. And boy, this epic tale this. of pooping, yeah, yeah, it, it's just it goes on to like, oh man, I, I, this is horrible. And they're like, wait a minute, there's no poop in here. And, you know, he's like, oh, I, I don't want to get up. I'm bashful. You got the girls here, you know, they don't want to see how well endowed I am, and I don't want to, <laughs> you know, shame anybody. And this, of course, is in in front of the uh, uh, stewardess that also mentioned how cute he was <laughs> several times. <laughs> yeah. And so they 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 finally get done this with this kind of fun band with eddie pull him off the toilet and they're like wait a minute there's not even any poop in here you know like, <laughs> what he's like well Fold you know how you. it is sometimes <laughs> it just feels like you really got to go but then you don't have to go yeah and, i mean eddie is totally the heart in, of this of this book you know what i mean this is our yeah. first real look at like you know what he contributes to obviously the you know the book it's you know the the book itself like you know the first book the gunslinger was so much more melodramatic and i loved it but adding eddie as someone who is funny and full of heart and easy to love and identify i think really elevates this book um over over gunslinger um to you know it goes this is the book that kind of takes the series from beyond like a fun little yarn into becoming an epic because you you have you you now have another character to like really who is sort of your avatar in a way that Roland could never be because he's such like a cold like hard character right yeah. um you have your sort of like Tyrion from Game of Thrones in Eddie right um you know i love all the mythology of these books but one of the things that really makes this this like you know connect is the humanity and the humor and the ability to like you know put myself into the story in a profound and personal way and i think it really starts with this chapter and stuff like eddie on the freaking toilet i mean as as sort of like you know maybe sophomoric or whatever you may think of the humor like I, I mean, this is this is the moment right here on the toilet. This is where we all fell in love with Eddie. 
so basically the scene ends with Eddie getting taken away by customs and uh I can't tell you that I've I've listened to Beyond this point a few times. <laughs> yes, yes, but <laughs> and, I mean, yeah. And so I had to make sure and thank you Rachel for writing such specific notes so I could <laughs> this stop because I would have just barrel rolled on to the next section. But uh, from here anything you want to add cuz I, I feel like we've kind of gotten the deep bits in this. Is there something we missed Rachel uh, in this um... scene that you wanted to touch on or any sort of like uh close up looks at any of these bits? I think we did a pretty good job. This is an episode or this is a chapter that I, you know, is mostly action. We have, I think the most important things that happen in this chapter are the contact between Eddie and Roland for the first time. And because it begins to set the dynamic and um, also, you know, the the first contact but then also eddie entering into his world temporarily um Mm -hmm. and and him getting a good look at roland like those are the two most sort of important things there's a lot of really um there's so much action in this it's kind of amazing the amount of character development we managed to squeeze in with little moments like you know the toilet scene or um, the knife like you talked about or yeah. like when he's like looking at his saddlebags and like you're you're getting a look at Roland through his eyes but like we're understanding who Eddie is because of the way he is interpreting everything that he's seeing so it's a great it's a great chapter I love that it ends with him being dragged away with like a big smile on his face because he's like you know the cat that got the canary and, and I think that is so Eddie it is so quintessentially Eddie um, Stephen King when he wrote this like knew exactly who Eddie was right from the start and he makes it he does a great job of communicating who he is yeah, I have this weird um, uh, picture of Eddie, like uh, uh, almost from uh, what was that dancing eighties uh, or you know the disco dancing thing with John Travolta. Yeah, you know, I almost have him like uh, not John Travolta, but like as John Travolta's uh, sassy, like loudmouth sidekick. You know, it's like <laughs> wearing a bandana and like uh, you know talking some smack with like not quite as nice of clothes and no high heels, but still like in that weird vibe of that era. Yeah. Maybe I'm imagining things. Do you have a a dream casting for Eddie? Is there someone you'd like to see play that role? You know, I almost want to go back to like, welcome back Connor and pick one of those. You want Vinnie Barbarini? Yeah. Something like that. Right. (laughs) You know, doesn't that sort of have like, maybe not quite, but sort of a, that's the vibe I get from Eddie when I think about him and, and maybe I'm completely wrong. Uh, but maybe uh, with the smoking on the plane and the description of the characters yeah. and so on, I sort of just want to go back to that. Like a guy that has like that 70s shaggy hair and like maybe yeah. a little bit too tight bell bottoms and like says, <laughs> hey, you know, it does that sort of thing. Like I, I just sort of have like that feel for him. So I, one of the I don't know. Pe- one of the people that's been floated was Aaron Paul from Breaking Bad, the guy that played Jesse Pinkman. What do you oh, think about yeah. him? Uh, so I like that, except that uh, he leans more on the uh, over abuse of drugs. Side well, I mean, he's a look. heroin addict, right? Like he's kind of a mess. But so I, when I think of Eddie, I think of him as this guy who has just crossed the threshold. Right. So uh, when I think of the the guy you're describing from Breaking Bad, I think of him as more like. He's been on the other side of that threshold for a, a little while. Strong, a little too strong out for you. Yeah, exactly. Like, y- you need someone that's, like, turning but hasn't completely become a vampire yet, you know? Yeah. <laughs> huh. 
Oh, poor Jesse Pinkman. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of I'm kind of down with Aaron Paul. Um, I it has to be someone who can be has they have to have like a twinkle in their eye. You know what I mean? Like they have to be pretty charming. Um, what was the guy from um, Fast and the Furious uh, that uh, has kind of the weird eyes and like is a really good actor, but like you never really think of him. He had some X Files uh, debuts. He did that one with the uh, um, Jack Black and the Lightning in X Files. You remember that? Mm, you know what no. I'm talking about? Was it in the new version or no, the... In the old old X Files? Oh, like you know what? I've barely seen any of the X Files. I know, I know, I know, I know. Uh, oh well. Anyway, uh, the the guy that like locked himself in the, his own room and learned French just for one role, like a one ten minute role, like learned French perfectly and then huh. like, played a French character. Jack Black X Files. DPO is that? I guess the name of the episode. Probably Giovanni Ribisi. Uh, is that, uh, the, yeah, the guy, the smiling guy in the IMDb page. Oh, I love Giovanni Ribisi. He would be an interesting Eddie. Did you ever see The Gift? He was uh, great in The Gift with, where, like, with Keanu Reeves, where he's like a white trash dude, and Kate Blanchett is psychic, and... No, I, I might have to check that out. You've never seen that movie? It's so good. It's directed by Sam Raimi. And uh, yeah, Katie Holmes gets her boobs out. You gotta see it. So good. <laughs> and Giovanni Ribisi has like a really important role in that movie. If you have not seen that, that is a dope movie. Mm. Um, the Gift. Check it out. I should have picked that instead of Lords of Salem. <laughs> yeah, Lords of Salem. That was a lot of that was a lot. Of I movie mean, that I didn't want to. See I gotta it. be honest. That was really just about trolling Matt. <laughs> oh. Like I wasn't even really gonna pick it, but then he got so mad when I was jokingly saying it. I was like, "Oh no, no, now we're definitely doing it." <laughs> All right, sorry. I, I know right. I got us off track. So anyway, yeah, so I, I think G- uh, Giovanni Ravisi, whatever his yeah. name is, like I, I like him as a guy that would be, a, yeah. I, and he's one of those guys that is able to straddle that line of like yes. healthy and drug addict pretty well throughout. That's actually really good casting. Do you think he's too old now? Although he has that young face, he could maybe pull it off. He's one of those he's... guys. He just gets rid of the stupid mustache. <laughs> be good to go. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Any other thoughts on this chapter before we move now, on? So you're excited about this particular book and I'm less excited. I love okay. Eddie and, uh, and, and I like some of the, the play back and forth, uh, but a lot of this, uh, a lot of this stuff, like on the plane, sort of feels almost cliche to me, hmm. um, and I, I don't want to be too de- uh, Debbie Downer on this, but uh, you know, uh, it's pretty easy to predict the, the outcome of this entire scene before you even get very far along. Yeah, like, but part of the fun is figuring out how they're going to get out of it, right? Yes, like it really, as soon as you know that Roland can inhabit, you know, walk through a door to another world. <laughs> It's like, oh, yeah, this guy has heroin under his arms, and obviously he's going to drop it off on the other side of the door and then, like, yeah. walk out again. I mean, at least they made it fun with the, the bathroom scene and some of this other stuff. But at the same time, it's like, come on, Stephen King. See, <laughs> you can, I you can write a, a little clumsier than this. I have a very roller coaster feeling about this book. Like, I love this early stuff, and I love the, the, the latter half. But the middle part, 
is uh, when we get to it, it's pretty problematic. Yeah. <laughs> that part I'm not such a fan of. <laughs> I do um, uh, the the some of the character interaction and the like one off characters that you only get for a little bit in the future of this particular book are fun. Yes. Like, oh, you know, yes. Like every time Stephen King uh, writes in somebody that you know is going to disappear in a chapter or two, like <laughs> he goes out of his way to make it the most uh, whatever kind of that guy. Yes. You yes. You know, if it's a British guy, it's the most like scurvy British guy you can think of, and like <laughs> every yeah. single character like that that you roll into is like that guy times ten. If he works at a gas station, he's just like the gas station guy. You know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. All right, cool. So, reading for next week, or two weeks from now, we are going to read Chapter 4, The Tower. Dun, dun, dun. So, um, we do have some listener feedback, and we have a connection to the Stephen King universe, and I think that all kind of needs to fall behind the spoiler wall. So, uh, if the if you're if you don't want any spoilers, this is sort of your moment to go. We'll see you in two weeks with our review of the tower. Um, but if you're going to stick around, we've got some listener feedback, connections to the Stephen King universe, and then we're going to talk about the movie news. And all of that's pretty spoilery. So thank you for listening. We'll see you in two weeks. All right, my spoiler homies, are we ready to to get into the nitty gritty of some stuff? Let's do it. All right, cool. So first, let's do, you want to do listener feedback or connections to the Stephen King universe? Let's do some listener feedback. Uh, it's been so long since we've actually done a show. I'd like to hear from these guys. <laughs> well, we did get, um, we got a couple messages. One of them is actually in, going to take the place of our our Stephen King universe connection. So I'm just going to stick to this one. We also got some really nice reviews on, um, on uh, iTunes. So I just want to take a moment to thank uh, Hunter M. Bush and Sarah Elms, who left us really nice four and five star reviews. And we super appreciate that. So um, if you are enjoying the show, we ask that you do like Hunter and Sarah and leave us a review on iTunes. If you're listening to all the Zombie Girls shows, you can leave one on the main Zombie Girls feed. Or if you're only listening to Cast of Caw, there is a cast of call only feed that you can leave a review there. I'll leave that up to you. Either of them are greatly appreciated. Um, if you want to send in feedback to us, you can send us feedback to cast of call at zombiegirls.com. We also have a voicemail that you can leave us a message at 1678-694-7759. All right. So listener feedback. We got a message from our buddy, Leroy, who you may recall from uh, the gentleman who sent us in the uh, literary genealogy of Roland. Ah. Yes. This is our Smarty Pants listener who um, I, I have cut this email down because it's pretty long, but I'm going to send you the full version because um, there's a lot of information there that's really great. Like I, I super enjoy his emails, but they are like a little long to read aloud. So I've kind of trimmed this down to stuff, but he is writing actually to you, DJ. Really? Uh -oh. <laughs> no, no, no. It's not like that. All right. So Rachel and DJ, glad to have the cast of Caw back again. I enjoyed listening to your discussions, and you've inspired me to get back into the Dark Tower series in ebook form so I can at least listen to it during my commutes, which is awesome. I encourage, you know, like, I love this series, so anytime we get people to go back, um, that that's great. All right, so, for the first part of this letter, I felt it necessary to respond to DJ about his thoughts concerning my literary genealogy of Roland. 
<laughs> I appreciate the thought that Stephen King may not have specifically intended all of my connections to the previous literary references to Roland. However, King has stated that uh, when he and his wife were first married, he was a struggling author and he, uh, and in the early years after he completed his university education and uh, in previous writings that he got his, he said in previous writing that he got his initial inspiration from the Robert Browning poem, knowing full well to its references to King Lear and the Shakespeare's reference to Charlemagne. With King's grasp of literary history, I do not feel that it is a stretch to conclude that he knew all the various literary references that I discussed in my previous messages. So, he disagrees. <laughs> in other words. <laughs> I, I, will, uh, I will concede that uh, I am not uh, Stephen King's mind, and therefore any assumptions I make are, sp- are purely speculative. As, uh, <laughs> I, I do not know his education or what he reads in his spare time. So, And yeah. I am happy to defer to Leroy, who has exactly. clearly done the research. <laughs> hey, you spent more time on it than me, man. You win. You yeah. This. like At this point, you see, this is the dangerous thing. is like Now I'm just taking whatever Leroy tells me to be true. <laughs> so he can be like, well, you know, he wrote this on an alien spaceship. I'll be like, well, you know, Leroy said it, so he must have. So you just start quoting him. <laughs> so then he and he closes out with some thoughts about chapter three. Um, he really loves this chapter because he, like we were talking about, feels that it does a great job of character development for both Roland and Eddie. Uh, the original Roland returns. He's impatient with Eddie's apparent uselessness. However, Roland has tempered somewhat as he struggles uh, with trying to understand why he and Eddie have been brought together. Maybe because I've read the series uh, the, multiple times, uh, but I can't help but see Roland maturing in this chapter. And I think that I think he's right about that. He's frustrated with Eddie, but he does want to give him a chance. Roland's re- recognition that Eddie is more adept than most people in this world is a foreshadowing of what Eddie is to become. Roland's recognition of Eddie is a willingness to give him a chance uh, seems to set up their future relationship. So, in other words, Leroy basically in one paragraph said what took me an entire 45 minutes to say. <laughs> <laughs> so, bravo, Leroy. We bow down to you, sir. <laughs> or I do, anyway. Uh, any thoughts? Uh, no, that that sounds uh, very precise and to the point. Uh, I agree. Uh, didn't, I don't really have anything to... <laughs> You know, uh, when you say someone's like read all these things and wrote this thing, I, I I would gladly argue. But when you concisely describe what I feel is exactly the same opinion, then yeah. I'm just going to say, yes, good job, yeah. man. I should let you do the cast. I feel actually feel like uh, bolstered by it because I'm like, oh, cool. If Leroy says it's what's happening, then I'm getting it right. You know, if I agree. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. So thanks, Leroy, so much for your awesome feedback. We, as always, love to hear from you. Okay. So, on to connections to the Stephen King universe. I had none, and I was just like, okay, you know, like, in the same way that we were saying how it's not really mid-world or language heavy, like, there wasn't, it felt so very much just sort of set in our world that there wasn't really room for connections, but um, our Brooklyn correspondent, David, who kindly wrote in, pointed out what he thought might be a connection. So, this is from David in, in Brooklyn. Who, by the way, has an awesome podcast called Award Wieners. I talked about it last week. And their latest episode, they're doing um, my one of my all-time favorite movies, Silence of the Lambs. And I was horrified to discover that David had never seen it. So 
Thank God he corrected that. Okay. Um, RIP John, uh, Jonathan Demi. Um, all right. So he says, I wanted to email you before I forgot. There might be a very loose connection between the regulators and the gunslinger. Have you read the regulators, DJ? Uh, no, I don't think I have. It's a weird book. It's sort of like this sister book to Desperation. Did you ever read that? Uh, yeah, I think I read Desperation, and I just started on The Talisman uh, a couple oh, weeks ago, per I your request. love The Talisman. You're making me so happy right now, DJ. <laughs> Are you liking it so far? Um, I'm only two chapters in right okay. now, so okay. like uh, nothing crazy exciting has happened. It's more introductions. Yeah, yeah. All right, so he says, okay, so this is his connection between the regulars and the gunslinger. It's not actually uh, actually story that so much as it is in ideas. Talk is the antagonist of the book. He has no body and he takes over a young boy for his own means. So like thematically, it's kind of like how Roland takes over Eddie's body because he's unable to use his own. Um, and, and I mean, like we could all conjecture, like we don't really see how talk facilitates this. So like, Maybe maybe he's looking through some sort of portal. We don't know. So thank you, David. I would not have picked up on that because, honestly, I didn't really like the regulators, so I forgot all about talk. Although I guess he's the antagonist in desperation as well, right? Because, like, <laughs> oh, anyway. So, yeah, that's our connections. Which just leaves us with, with movie news. <laughs> all right. So we're, first things first, the thing since last time we talked – the movie release date got delayed again. You remember, originally it was supposed to be in, what, February? Then it moved to June. Mm. Now it's been delayed to August 4th. So another additional wait, right? Yeah. At first, at first I was kind of like, uh-oh, that's not good news, right? And um, But I think there's a couple of things going on here. And I want to know what you think about this. So the movie getting moved uh, uh, forward again uh, sort of to me indicates that they still haven't really found their place yeah, um, and that they're still a little bit concerned about uh, the structure and uh, uh, possibly the plot that they've chosen uh, for the movie. And, and the more they move it around, uh, you know, uh, originally it was sort of like in a blockbuster zone. And then they pushed it out to like an area where it's not really where yeah. you know the the biggest hits come, and now being moved towards the end of the year, like they're sort of escaping a lot of the award sections. You know, they're not in that zone, yeah. Which means like kind of a weird no man's land. <laughs> yeah. And then you take that in combination with this latest trailer, which we'll talk about in a second, and. You're just like, oh no, what are we, is this going to be the Langoliers all over again? <laughs> oh no. Bronson Pinchot just tearing up paper in an airport for two hours. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, so here's my, that is basically mirroring how I was feeling about it. So I went and took a look at what other stuff was coming out. And I think part of it is they may have picked this week. Because there's, like, nothing else coming out that week except for, uh, yeah, nothing that week. And then there's nothing for two, like, for the week before it, really mm -hmm. blockbustery. You have to go two weeks and, and you'll get up to Valerian and Dunkirk, which are... You know, oh, both Valerian things. looks really good. It does. It That's does. Like and the element guy. 
Yes. And it does have crossover in terms of audience, right? Like there's yeah. going to be the sci-fi, the same us, the sci-fi nerds are going to be interested in both of those movies. And so they won't have to compete because it'll be two weeks. And if that movie is not good and it's got bad reviews, then there's, you know, no word of mouth that is going to compete. And the only thing really coming out that week is is Dark Tower. So I think that's part of, like, that's pretty decent planning in terms of dealing with um, competition. Because when it was coming out in July, it was coming out, like, the week after Spider-Man and the week before something else really big. It was not a good place for it. Mm-hmm. Um, except for that it also means maybe they don't totally have faith in it. Um, but also, I think they're planning to release it on both 2D and 3D, and they needed additional time for the processing with that. Mm-hmm. And that might also be why it moved. But, you know, who knows? Who, wait, wait did they shoot it in 3D or are they just upscale? I think they might 3D. be upscaling it to 3D. I mean, I don't, uh, I, I'm not watching it in 3D, so it don't matter to me. Because <laughs> fuck 3D. <laughs> but, but still, I think that may also be a reason. Um, and like, you know, a few months ago, they, that, trailer got late and it was very clear that special effects had not been done and there are a lot of special effects in this so mm-hmm. maybe they just needed that extra time for all that green screen <laughs> so well, yeah I we're don't moving know. to a territory though now where uh it seems like it's okay to do reshoots yes and, oh uh, and there have been reshoots recently well and uh, so i, I don't want to be too harsh but uh uh, have you ever heard of that uh, um, diminishing returns or throwing good money after bad money? Yeah, what is like, it? The the fallacy of sunk, sunk yeah the, cost? the fallacy <laughs> of sunk cost or something like yeah. that. So you know they've already spent a lot of money on this. They have the movie, and yeah. somebody's like, oh, if only we could do this, I could make it just a little bit better. And if we did this, we could fix it. And it sort of feels like that may be what's going on. Like mm. there's already some uh, some regret. Yeah. Well, I mean, who knows? Who knows? Today, the trailer dropped. So, <laughs> what are your thoughts? I mean, oh, here's a first of all. Let's just say I was pretty sure it was just going to be that leak trailer we saw with the final special effects, and it's not. Like, it's definitely a different trailer. I don't know so, if I feel any better though. <laughs> yeah. So first of all, the trailer starts off with like some weird, like gun waving, catching bullets in the air, slow motion bullcrap that is uh, <laughs> obnoxious. And then you know immediately we have Matthew McConaughey in a shadow, and then Jake sleeping, and then a bunch of words, which means that they didn't have enough good stuff to fill fill in. And then, Aww. you know, the same shots of Matthew McConaughey coming out of the shadow like three or four more times. The same shots of Jake sitting in the same spot and like, oh, yes, he drew a tower on a piece of paper. Like, great. Uh, I, I don't know. Uh, and then the the doors and like even they, the, they showcase the house, you know, uh, from down the road, the, the ghost house-ish thing. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of like, blah. I don't know. I'm sort of I'm frustrated about this whole thing. And then you finally get a really good close-up look of Roland's gun belt. And like what the hell is that? Like he's got six packs of bullets in holsters. Like where's the the like old school western bullet wrap thing that you normally see? I don't I, I'm I'm frustrated in many levels. <laughs> yeah. So 
I'm going to start with the positives <laughs> and then okay, we can okay. like really get into, this is just my feelings. Like I still think Idris Elba is a good gunslinger. I think he empower, he is definitely embodying the Roland sort of like strong silent type. He looks great. The costume I'm becoming, I'm getting more used to it. It's not what I imagined, but at least he has a cool duster in this. Like we've just mostly been seeing him with that vest, but at least in this, we can see like the dirty duster in the wind a little bit when he's in like, sort of like a wasteland setting. So the, I like the costume that. costume feels like uh, retro chic to me almost like, Yes, like they're they're like diving they're leaning back into, into the, the fantasy, and then they're like, "Well, let's add some more futuristic, old timey, you know, crap to it." And it, I, I'm taken out by that. I don't, I don't like it. It's mm-hmm. not not a good Roland. I wanted Roland to be like a classic, dusty, dirty Clint Eastwood style cowboy. You know, that's Fair. like plain attire and no jazz sure a duster is fine but don't go overboard give him some old guns that look like prestigious don't make his bullet packs fancy you know make him load his gun the way um, an old cowboy loads his gun not throwing his bullets up in the air and floating them into his chamber that's bullshit (laughs) i mean yeah i i'm less bothered by that than you are for me uh What's really bothering me is there is a part in the trailer, and I think this is this is the core of my issue with it. Like I, I'm willing to let go of plot stuff. I'm even, you know, like I it doesn't look exactly how I imagined Gilead. I think like the ruins of Gilead look pretty cool, like you know. But <sighs> there's a part in the trailer where Jake is giving Roland a pep talk, and he's saying. You have to go to the tower or my world will be destroyed. And to me, that is so counter to who Roland is. And it completely destroys the dynamic between the two of them from the first book, where he is so driven for his, to his quest that he is sworn to, that he will sacrifice this child who he's come to love's life in its, his pursuit of it. So that he... that that he takes a backseat to Jake in terms of like who is who is most um, driven to this quest tells me that they don't know what this story is about. They don't understand who Roland is. And that is deeply upsetting to me. And like I was saying to you before the show, as stupid as this is, and like I am such a salty nerd and – but I actually feel like a sense of like mourning. <laughs> like I'm so, I'm not like nerd ragey. I'm like sad. It made me sad. It made me actually kind of sad when I saw that scene. And I will, and I realized, and, and maybe, and maybe in context, it will be totally different. And I'm trying to keep an open mind. But when I saw that scene, I was just like gutted. See, I was actually, I was okay with that. And the reason is, is because they tell you like right away, like this is not the book. This is like, this is Yes, but it's still Roland. Yes, that's fine. I don't have a problem with plot stuff moving because this is more of a sequel than. Well, so, uh, okay. So, but for Jake to be the driving force is a betrayal of Roland. Well, no, no, no. Okay. If this falls after (laughs) all the books, think about it like this. Roland has finally evolved as a character and okay. the only way to win and we understand the 
and this is a complete spoiler for anybody who hasn't read the whole thing, that it's a like a giant loop. Yeah. And so if it's a giant loop, the only way for Roland to escape the loop is to evolve into a yeah. different person and for him to take a different role in interacting with the characters uh, that are in this continual uh, cycle that he's stuck in. And to, to re uh, uh, reevaluate and change the way Roland reacts to Jake is completely fine with me. Okay. I didn't even mind that stupid joke where, like, he's like, you're going to really love my world if you I, like guns, I mean, that buddy. was fine. I don't like, care. I like, that didn't okay. bother me. I mean, because but... it's true. Roland is going to fucking love America. <laughs> we got a lot of guns and bullets. <laughs> but I think the, the part that uh, irritated me the most was, like, uh, some of those scenes, instead of just making him seem like a really badass action hero, they almost make him seem magical and mystical. And while we know right. that Roland has like a little bit of that he's of too, the shine, but it's he's too less much. Eastwood, more like Jedi. Yeah, exactly. Like I don't yeah. want to go in that direction with Roland. I want him to be like a down to earth person who's just really good at stuff and like happens to be able to walk from plane to plane of existence. You know, as opposed to like magical powers and doing things super crazy. You know, like that's not. That's not who Roland is. Roland's not like a magician. He's not yeah. like a, a conjurer. He's just a dude who uses guns really well and murders people. You know, like that's what he is. <laughs> Why would you change that? And yeah. and and maybe I read too much into this, but when I watch the trailer, like the the shots of Roland doing stuff, it's like, oh, he just like hears and then closes his eyes and fires a bullet off into the darkness and like hits the guy square in the forehead and he dies. You know, like okay, yeah. I mean like. That's going beyond gunslinger and into like uh, I don't know, not gunslinger, more like crazy mystic action, uh, and that's not how Roland should be. And even the battles they're showing, because they kind of allude to a battle with him, and Matthew McConaughey, uh, and mm-hmm. and Matthew McConaughey is like making glass hover, and Roland's like. Well, I think he's in float. that house where yeah, he's in that house. Uh, well, I can't think of the name of it, but the house where it has the guardian. Yeah. I think that's like the guardian coming to life, right? Oh, okay, okay. I still, I don't know. I I have to reserve judgment on this, but I I am disappointed with the trailer for completely different reasons than you're disappointed. But the end result is we're both disappointed, which which means yeah. that uh, there are probably a lot of other people that are also not uh, completely thrilled about this. Uh, uh, I have two more bones of contention. One, the the tahine. They've turned them into orcs. Instead of being these like bizarre hybrids of human and animal, mm-hmm. they look like freaking they look like the orakai coming down from the mountain. Like it's a little too Lord of the Ringsy for me with those creatures. So yeah, yeah I, I was not a big fan of how the tahine looked. But that's a little quibble. My other major issue is that like I understand they've chosen to make Jake the sort of central character, like really focusing on his ability to shine, you know, because he's like psychic. He's able to kind of pull all the pieces together and get, you know, feed the audience all of the exposition that they need because there's so much world building, yada, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. But I also am getting this weird, like 
flight of the navigator-esque like super child vibe and it's <laughs> such an adult story by making it was centering jake and making it feel extremely pg family friendly action like i don't it that is not the dark tower you know what i mean which is such a dark fucked up world it's a dystopia and it feels like it's not if, where you have fun teaching your son how to shoot a gun no, I mean, or, like, if you're gonna do that, like, make it really dark and fucked up, like, this is the world that we live in, you have to know, need to know how to do this, and you have to be willing to shoot people, you know, like, there's a way to do that that is in keeping with sort of the mood and the the maturity level of the, of the original content, but, like, by Jake being, like, your main character, he is, I mean, he's, like, he's like it makes it feel kid-ish in a way that i i don't care for i don't know man i don't know i don't i don't feel like the tone is right so what i would ask uh for you guys to do that are listening to us right now uh, tell us what you think because yeah we're kind of we watched it a number of times and, and sort of flailed around about what we thought about it but uh, some of you are smarter than us, I think, and, <laughs> yeah. and may have an even more uh, cohesive argument as to why this sucks or does not suck. And I would love a dissenting opinion. If you guys think it's it's great, lay it on us. I'd like to hear the positives about this. Um, I know I'm nitpicky about wardrobe and stuff, but that isn't the end-all, be-all. It's, it's simply that when your favorite reading material gets translated into a visual uh, item, you've yeah. sort of developed your own... Uh, a mental picture and if it doesn't meet that you're sometimes disappointed or irritated with the creative choices that have been made yeah can <sighs> i point out two more things that i did think were cool and then we can move on yeah go for it so there were a couple of cool easter eggs in this i don't know if you caught them uh, uh I, I caught the house i caught uh, uh the uh um that part with the the like future town uh, when they're walking up to it, you know, uh, okay. the very beginning. These are more like of other Stephen King things. Oh, no, I didn't catch any of that because that's okay. Thing. All right. Wow. There's a couple of cool little moments and there might be more like when people go like frame by frame through this. But the two that I saw is there's uh, the part where Jake is in his therapist's office and there's like the beam quake. Mm-hmm. They cut to his desk and there's a picture sitting on the desk and it's a picture of the Overlook Hotel from The Shining. Oh, really? Yes, that one's really cool. But then the best one is when Jake is wandering through the forest and he gets to the weird, like, kind of like carnival ruins. Did you see that thing? Yeah, and there's like a balloon, like a metal balloon thing. Yes. Okay, so if you look closely at it, I'm going to send you this picture. One second. Come on. So, okay, look at it closely. If you look at the sign, it says Pennywise. Um... And then, can you see the sign? The metal yeah. sign. And then if you look carefully. There's oh, a yeah, hand. it does say Pennywise. It's yes. It's like very blurred ne- uh, on the left hand side of the uh, of the balloons. And then there's that hand coming out of the ground. Yes. Holding the balloons. And if you look behind the hand, you can see the top of his hat coming out of the water. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Isn't that cool? That's wow. fucking cool, man. Like as much as I've been hating on the trailer, that moment I was like, oh. Because, like, you know, we've we've all read the books. We know that there's, like, an it type of character that Roland meets, like, in book seven or six or mm. eight. Where, like, the, but it's, like, laughter instead of fear that this thing feeds off of. So, I don't know. I thought that was a really cool moment. Um, Pennywise is my ultimate, like, 
the thing that scares me, the horror character that scares me the most. So I got like a total like, when I saw that. As much as I've been like shitting on this poor trailer, at least it shows that the filmmakers have a love of Stephen King's stories, that they want to infuse all of this stuff into this world. Maybe that love of that, of that, you know, original material will shine through in a way and that we're gonna look back at this moment when we shit all over this trailer and be like we were so naive this movie is amazing they nailed it and i hope i hope i truly hope that that's true i don't want to hate it i want to love it and i hope that we do all right Uh, maybe (laughs) the realist (laughs) you know this uh especially a book like this is a very hard thing to translate into a a visual medium and uh, because of that like uh, even even just the way they've approached this is they've almost had to go completely different because you couldn't make a real movie out of just one any individual one of these books and have it uh, be worth watching without the rest of them existing and having some sort of driving force Uh, uh, it's just not there so they're doing the best they can, but yeah. especially when you're trying to encompass like a seven or an eight book uh, uh, mythos, it's it's not really. Yeah, it, it, they're trying. I just to, like, really hope everything. we get Blaine, and I hope we get Eddie and Susanna. And well, so we, one know. series to go look at and see how the world fails is go watch uh, the series of unfortunate events movies. Oh yeah, or the movie, and then movie. watch the uh, the the Netflix original. The Netflix original nails it, but mm-hmm. there's so much that it's gonna be like a five season, yeah, you know, series, and that's a television medium, not a movie medium. And you only have so many hours you can make an audience sit in a chair. And while they've upped it to two and a half to three for some of these movies these days. Uh, that's still not enough to encompass yeah. 100% of Stephen King's uh, uh, very complex universe. In the I would have loved, loved like a Netflix or a HBO adaptation of this. Oh, once this bombs, I'm sure that'll happen. Ooh, fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, all right. Anything else you want to talk before we wrap this up? Nope. That's all I got. All right. So where, if people want more DJ in their life, where on the internet would they go? You can find me at Twitter at DSLRFilmNoob or at DSLRFilmNoob on Twitter. You can find me at DSLRFilmNoob.com. <laughs> you can find me on YouTube at One Lone Dork, the channel, or the other channel, DSLRFilmNoob, which neither one of them match up with the other. Uh, also, of course, um, if you just search for DJ Sharton, uh, that's D E E J Y in Google. I will be the first 10 to 15 pages that you find. So uh, enjoy all of that. And uh, Rachel, what about you? Where can people find you? Well, you can find me on Twitter at, uh, at Rach pants. Um, you can follow us at ZG podcast uh, at, on Twitter as well. You can find me at the, like, if you want to hear more of me blabbering on, there's plenty of podcasts. You can listen to the zombie girls or stream Queens, or you can listen to, DJ and I reunited on the Splattercast. Yeah. Uh, we're getting ready to do our 500th episode. Do you like? I'm like such a bandwagoner. I'm such a carpetbagger. Like I joined the show at like episode 300, but 
<laughs> I'm still acting like five. I, I have a part in this 500 celebration where DJ and I like basically trolled each other with our choices. I have to watch. Oh the come Tiny on! Tear I movie. thought my choice was really good. I you know I, mean, I haven't seen all of it yet. I I watched the beginning and that's it so far. But that won so I, several awards in the 90s, Rachel. Well, I'm sure Lords of Salem <laughs> won Yeah, some it awards. didn't win any awards. <laughs> it got like a Razzie at least, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, me, me, no, no. Maybe one yeah. best naked old lady award. Yeah, uh, woohoo! <laughs> don't tell me I didn't. I don't do anything for you, DJ. <laughs> I gave you all that boob. <laughs> no, guess what I wanted? Rob Zombie's <laughs> wife naked. There you go. All right. So, yeah, that's how you find us on the Internet. Thank you, everybody, for listening and hanging in with us during our unplanned break. Uh, We have figured out the technology, so it will not happen again. And we will see you in two weeks with our review of the chapter of chapter four, The Tower, which I I assume that means they're going to get to the tower in chapter four, right? Uh, Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, it must be right. Okay. cool. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye, everyone.